Hello and welcome to another episode of Death Left Pod, the officially unofficial Death Left podcast. It's Neil here and joining me today to discuss and share his very recent experience of the 2022 Summer Stadium Tour, which of course features Death Leopard, is regular Death Left Pod contributor Chris Preston. Now, Chris, I've seen Rick Allen's post on social media before these shows in which he tells people to prepare to be rocked. Can you confirm? Were you or were you not rocked at the Toronto show on the 8th of August? Hey, Neil, with uh, 100% conviction, I can confirm that Toronto got rocked. Rick is completely correct, and he did not, and the band did not let us down. We got rocked. All right, then. So people listening will have been following or not following the stadium tour to different degrees, and other people listening... It may be well after the stadium tour is finished and it's a thing of the past. So that being the case, I'm just going to provide a brief bit of background about exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the stadium tour. So the stadium tour is a co-headlining North American tour by Def Leppard and Motley Crue. It also features special guests Poison and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and an opening band, Classless Act. Def Leppard and Motley Crue alternate between the final slot of the night from gig to gig, but share an equal amount of stage time of 90 minutes. The tour was announced on the 4th of December 2019 and was set to take place in the summer of 2020. And this would have built on the momentum gained by the Leps from late 2018 and all the way through 2019, which saw respectively the Hysteria and More Tour, an array of European festival headline slots, including download in the UK, a series of dates in North America, principally in Canada, and a second Vegas residency. However, due to the onset of the global COVID-19 pandemic in early 2020, it was rescheduled for 2021 before being postponed again to 2022. The tour finally kicked off in Truist Park in Atlanta on June 16th, 2022, the tour consists of 36 shows and it ends on the 9th of September in Las Vegas. Chris, have I missed anything out there, do you think, in way of background? No, I think you pretty much nailed it. Great quick summary and covered all the basis of this uh, highly anticipated tour that thankfully we're all finally seeing now. So that's a, that's a great summary. There's lots of things to talk about, but what we're going to do is we're going to give everyone their Def Leppard fix straight away. So we're going to focus on the Def Leppard show that you saw on the 8th of August in Toronto. Chris, what's the name of the venue again? So the venue is now called the Rogers Centre. It was originally called Skydome when it opened in, I think, 1989. So it's not a new facility, but it's our big um, the big stadium that the, the Toronto Blue Jays play in. So it's a, it's a 55,000, 60,000 seat venue in downtown Toronto. Whether you know from things that you've read or just being there and having a look around and observing yourself, did it look pretty much full to capacity? Yeah, so I've been to this, uh, this venue many times for all kinds of events, including concerts. As far back as uh, I think the first show I saw there was actually Aerosmith in 1990. And um, so this venue, as I said, sits about 55 to 60,000 for baseball, but the way they set up for concerts, obviously there's that portion at one end that they wouldn't use. 
So for a for a show of this nature, um, a concert of this size, max capacity I'm going to say is probably 43, 44,000. And from my understanding, it was a sellout based on ticket sales and obviously being in the facility while this was going on, it was full. Like it was a sight to behold. There were no empty seats, jam-packed. Okay, and another quite unique thing about this stadium on the stadium tour was that obviously when you think of stadiums being open air, that wasn't quite the case for this one, was it? No, exactly. So uh, this was the first Canadian show of the stadium tour. If you remember originally um, that this was just when it was announced um, originally, it was strictly an American um, occurrence or phenomena that this was just going to be American stadiums. That's why I bought tickets for New York City originally, which you've known for quite some time. And then the Canadian tour was announced um, later, or the Canadian dates were announced later. So this particular venue is also the first show of this tour to be performed in a closed um, dome setting. This roof is retractable in this stadium. So if bad weather comes in, they'll close it. A few things about that that I think kind of played into what the overall impact of this particular show was. There was bad weather forecast for that day. Um, so I knew the roof would be closed. Otherwise, it probably would have been open being the summer, um, but the weather was 70% uh, chance of rain. So they closed it, which lent to a better visual experience for all of the bands. And I mean, by, by that, I mean all of the bands, Joan Jett, not so much, but Poison through Def Leppard, Motley Crue were able to use their full light show. Right. Mm. So a lot of the shows in the US, these shows are starting at 3.30 in the afternoon, right? It's crazy because there's so many bands. So in some cases when, you know, Def Leppard or Motley Crue, depending on the night, when they've gone on, they've gone on and it's still daylight out. So the full visual impact of the lasers and the lighting and the video screens can get somewhat lost. So I was actually pleased that the dome was closed because Def Leppard was not closing the night of my show. And I was really pleased that I was able to see, like they brought out the lasers from the days of hysteria, right? That were playing off the back of the roof and the whole works during certain songs. Like when Sugar came on and the laser show happened, man, I was really happy that the roof was closed and it was dark. So I think it, I think it was an advantage for especially Leopard going on earlier on that night made the show more impactful and visually a better experience. And you're talking about the images and you're visualizing what you saw. Before we get onto the music, before we get onto the sonics, then in terms of the actual stage setup for Def Leppard, lots of us may have seen it on YouTube videos, but not everyone would have. Can you just paint a picture for us, Chris, in terms of you're standing there in the crowd, you're looking at the stage, Def Leppard are about to come on. What is it that you can see? What's the setup? And then once they come on, you know, what is the setup then? So the two headliners, Crew and Leopard, had the advantage in terms of the stage setup, right? And how big and expansive and the full use of the video screens, etc. And even the preamble leading into each of their sets. Joan Jett and Poison, you know, they basically were announced and they came out. But Def Leppard, um, and this is part of the whole anticipation for me and the hype around it. And 
as you said, we had seen videos throughout the past couple months on YouTube of what kind of everything looked like. But until you're there in that moment and then you start to experience the right, you start to get the kind of like the anticipation and you're like, oh, my God, it's happening. But what really kicks it off for me is Def Leppard. I love how they they do the pre-show stuff because they make it interesting. They make it interactive. Um, on the big video screens, they've got things playing, you know, there's about a half hour between sets. So there's some time to kill, right? You're getting a drink, you're going to the washroom, you're getting food. But also Def Leppard has all these things going on with, you know, they've got uh, stuff from the, the vault up on the on the screens asking you to sign up. If you're a fan, go to the vault, check out all this stuff. They've got their... You know, the Diamond Star Halos album cover is up. Check out the new album. They've got the Def Leppard beer stuff up on the screen. So there's lots of stuff happening visually um, while you're waiting. But then about, you know, I, th I think I remember the clock starting at about eight minutes. You see on the both the big side screens, the Diamond Star Halos logo is up and the countdown clock is on. And that's when you're like, if you're not in your seats by that point, you damn well better be soon, right? Because yeah. it's that whole slow buildup. So you're watching the clock go down. The music is going up slowly. You know, Def Leppard's always got that last song before they come on is The Who, right? You know that when The Who is on the house speakers, we're close to showtime. So I really have always liked what they've done with that on recent years with their tour. Um, and like I said, when you're sitting there watching that clock, and again, I knew I knew what was going to happen because I'd, I'd watched the videos. I tried not to watch the videos because I wanted yeah. some surprise, but you can't escape it. So I knew it was going to happen. But as that clock's ticking down and it gets down closer to under a minute and then the lights start to go down, right? The big lights in the stadium start to go down and it's dark. And that's when really the adrenaline is flowing and the anticipation is building i'm starting to get chills hairs down my arms standing up um again neil like i have to say that this tour for me was so highly anticipated for a number of reasons because of you know all of the bands on this bill i've seen before but we're all poison crew and leopard especially were all like my favorite bands of the 80s so when it was announced, this was beyond measure for me in terms of I have to go. So all of this anticipation and then two times being postponed and the, you know, when's it going to happen? Is it finally going to happen? So when you're sitting there in that moment and all of this past two or three years of anticipation is built and then it's about to kick in, I've only had that feeling a couple other times um, at a show and uh, it was nice to have that back. And especially when 42,000 other people are at that same energy level, you could literally, you could feel the electricity. It's one of the few moments I've had at a show where you're like, wow, this is going to be special. I really enjoyed the buildup. The buildup was beautifully done and really set everything up nicely in terms of when the music finally started. Hello Def Leppard friends, if you'd like to support Def Leppard, then you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash 
Def Left Pod. You can buy us a one-off coffee, or if you want, you can join our Gods of More membership, where you'll get even more bang for your buck and a little bit of extra Def Left Pod stuff every month. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash Def Left Pod. And before they start, is the stage obscured in any way? Obviously, the the famous, the very famous show opening is the 87-88 Hysteria Tour with oh, the big yeah. curtain drop. They're probably never, ever going to beat that. But are they replicating that in any way in terms of it being a, there being a moment when it's like, right, bang, they're on? Yeah, so they've they've done this a few times now. Um, so I hadn't seen them, obviously. This is... This is the longest I've gone without seeing them four years between shows because I did 2018 and did the meet and greet, um, but I couldn't go in 2019 when they did the Canadian tour. Um, so I like how Def Leppard, you know, you reference that hysteria, adrenalized, same thing, Dirty Harry, the curtains, they're always um, doing something to kind of build that anticipation. So you couldn't see the stage fully um, as this countdown clock was coming on. They did have... Um, it was almost like a screen similar to what they did in the past on the past couple tours where they had the the screen that would slowly rise up so again the anticipation beautifully done like they i love how much thought goes into you know what song is going to kick it off and how are we going to slowly reveal the band so you couldn't see you know there was that obscured view of behind the screen where you couldn't see you know, Rick's drums and you couldn't see where they were standing type thing because that screen was there and then it would slowly rise up. And that's when the, the intro music of Take What You Want starts, right? The album intro, and that's playing as, you know, that screen slowly starts to go up and the crescendo of everything happening as the song intro is playing uh, again, it was just one of those moments where I was like, I was kind of like, is this really happening? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, my God. Thank God. Because I was ready to literally like explode. I thought my head was going to burst off my body in terms of like mind blown. Oh, that's cool. And we're going to get on to the set list in a minute, but you just touched on one thing then. So we'll talk about that now. And it makes sense to go chronological, I guess. From the moment that Take What You Want was released as a single, me and you and many other Def Leppard fans were having discussions which went along the lines of that would be a perfect opener to the stadium tour. Was it the perfect opener? Yes, yes, 100%. 100%. I am... So it's interesting. um, I was having a conversation with somebody else about, you know, that as an opener and... If you think actually back to when this tour should have happened, there wouldn't have been a new album, right? In 2020. So this wouldn't have been an opening song. So everything played out beautifully in terms of, you know, them releasing the new album and this being the opener. I was, I knew it was going to be the opener as we did from other shows that had happened beforehand, but I was really excited um, to hear it live for a number of reasons, because as we've talked about, we've discussed that it's one of their best songs in many years and a throwback rocker to the, the prime eighties days. So I think the, the thing that really lent to it being, um, the perfect opener for this tour was beyond it. The fact that it's a brand new song that people are really into is 
the way the song is structured lends beautifully to how the show kicks off where you've got that. I like that they use the, the intro to the song, the album version, the intro as that slow build to when the lights went down to get everybody kind of like completely psyched up. And then when the screen went fully up and the band kicked in on the song and the smoke and the explosion, I think I, I went live on Facebook and I don't don't normally do that, but I went live on Facebook with it. And I think you can actually tell from the video, the roar of the crowd, the moment that that they kick in with the guitars and the screen's fully up and Joe's there and the guys are there. It was like, I almost felt like I was pushed forward by the roar of the crowd when that happened. And the adrenaline just like shot out and the place went nuts. And I haven't seen that happen in a long time with a band playing a new song, especially as an opener on a greatest hits tour. It was a great move. And I think it set the tone beautifully for where the rest of the show would go. You did share that on Facebook, Chris. And I've got to thank you for sharing it on Facebook <laughs> because just by sheer fluke, I think it was 1.30 a.m. here and I was still Probably, awake yeah. that night and I was I had my phone by me and all of a sudden it just came up on my phone. It's like, oh, Chris is live. And I was yeah. thinking, oh, wait, Chris is at the Def Leppard show today. I was like, oh, my God, is, is, he, fil- is he filming it? So I went on and it was. So I saw that, obviously, in a much diluted not as good way in right. terms of i'm looking at it coming out of a little phone speaker and it's all pixelated and, and yeah all the this reception was terrible so it's the, the video is awful but nonetheless it was genuinely tangible even through that little phone how exciting that start was and i think i was right. commenting that you wouldn't have seen about his comments and go oh chris thanks for this this is brilliant and it proper i and i put it this way if i couldn't get asleep before that i certainly couldn't get asleep afterwards i was thinking oh that's amazing i was so happy for you i was like he's just having such a good time now and you can see that they're they're totally delivering and they've started the set list with this song tell us that a little bit about what the set list was like. Obviously, I don't expect you to remember every single song that they played and in order. But can you give us a little bit of a flavor of what the set list was and where that set list, you know, ebbed and flowed? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I was, again, I have seen many postings on YouTube and reviews, and I know what the set list has been on prior shows on this tour. Um, which always creates a certain amount of discussion and controversy amongst Def Leppard fans, right? In terms of, are they going to play this? And why won't they play that? And, oh, I don't like this. Um, so um, one thing that I really liked what they did is that um, they tweaked it a bit for just before the, the end of the first leg of the tour, they tweaked the set list. So the set list... I think has is one of their better ones in recent years for a few reasons. Obviously, there's a new album out, which we knew they were going to play some new songs from. So I was excited to hear at least two or three of the new songs, which I knew were going to be included. They're going to play the hits, which you know, right? Which I'm always happy to hear. You know what? Mm-hmm. Pour some sugar on me. I've heard lots of people say they couldn't care if they hear it. They're going to play it, though. They have to play it. The place goes nuts when they play it. So the hits are there. Um, I was excited that there were potentially going to be some, 
not deeper cuts, but songs you may not have typically heard in the past from Def Leppard. Def Leppard's been a band that you and, you and I know, Neil. Their set list has not changed dramatically over the years, right? They they know what they need to play. Yeah. They play the big songs. They play the stuff from Hysteria. They play what they are expected to play. And some of the old school fans and, and others over the years have been somewhat critical of like, they don't play anything from the early records, right? They don't play anything from certain albums that they should. And, you know, why don't they do that? So this set list, I think, flowed beautifully between introducing the new stuff to some of the more casual Def Leppard fans who wouldn't have known it, as well as satiating um, the fans that wanted to hear all the big songs and even a couple surprises, um, which I was really happy to, um, to have in the show. 90 Minutes, it's probably about the best set list I think they could have put together for a 90 minute show. Um, had this been, you know, closer to two hours, obviously there was a lot more they could have included that they did skip over. Probably the biggest omission um, that I felt wasn't there was Let's Get Rocked. And I was a bit surprised it was left off initially. And then I was even a bit more surprised when it didn't get added in after they tweaked things halfway yeah. through. Um, but other than that, you know, I think it the set reached a really nice balance of old versus new, hits versus not hits, and mixing in, um, you know, a little bit of, how should we say it? They kind of, on a couple tracks, which we'll, I'll, talk, I'll hit on specifically, they surprised us with um, some changes to how they were played live, which was really nice. You know, when you've, I've been to so many shows, I think this was show 15 for me for Def Leppard. So, you know, they've played Hysteria mm -hmm. the same way every single time. But on this night and on this tour, they've changed it up a bit in terms of the arrangement of the song. So there were lots of great surprises. Um, in terms of that, as well as just the flow, like it, the first few songs just got everybody so ramped up and it was so energetic and the momentum was just massive. You had the nice little kind of, at some point we needed to take a little breather, a little lull, but then right boom back into it. And of course, we always know what Def Leppard finishes the set with, you know, you've got the massive, the Rock of Ages photograph, um, uh, Sugar. So. I was really, really, really pleased with the construction of the set list and how it was built to flow through the night. It, uh, I, I don't think it could have been any better for the type of show that this was. First things first, you mentioned that they changed Hysteria up. What have they done to it? So Hysteria, um, beautifully written song obviously beautifully played always when when the band plays hysteria live but on this occasion and on this tour they've done this on the whole tour um rather than you know hysteria typically has that ride out at the end it's very similar to the album version but there's a lot going on in hysteria the song itself in terms of the uh the actual album track where there's so many layered guitars etc and i found that they've always um, done a really good job of being able to play that song live and not lose a lot of the studio track, even though there are so many different layered things going on in it. Uh, what they've done on this tour with it is as you come through that kind of last chorus and you would normally go into, 
you know, the fade out and the rest of the song. This turned into, I was like, what's going on? Because the first thing I saw is Rick Allen got up and went off to, got off of his main kit and they had another smaller just bass drum set off to the side that he then stood at behind and just did this solid like beat. And so the songs quickly transitioned to that with then Joe leading like a audience sing-along of, you know, kind of, hey, oh, and Phil and Viv on the guitars trading off a bit. And we got a, I don't know, minute and a half um, fade out of that with Joe leading the audience in a sing-along with Rick just on the one drum and the two guitarists going. And it really was a great point in the show. I think it this was probably song 14 around there, just before Sugar kicked in. So it really got the crowd because we were all singing along with Joe. It was like a call and response type thing. Um, and we were singing along with that. And, you know, everybody's everybody's up in their seats and, you know, the clap, we're doing the clapping. And then Joe's starting with the singing. We sing it back. And it was a really unique, different way to have that song performed as well as being able to involve the audience in a new way that I haven't experienced with them before, right before they kicked into the bread and butter of the three songs at the end, right? So it was, I think it was very um, purposefully done in that fashion to get people then ramped up and ready to sing on through the final three tracks of the night. It was, it was really interesting. I think it worked really well uh, where it was and how they did it. Canadian crowds have got a good reputation. I know it is from like various like various vlogs and things I've seen, like you know, definitely yeah. back in two thousand and nineteen. And I know that Joe in particular always waxes lyrical about Canadian audiences. So I think I know the answer to this question. But you were there. Did the crowd do well in the audience participation? Did it did it work? It, there was no awkward silences or anything. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it did work. Um, and you're right. Like even in the in the last vlog, you know, Joe specifically says Canada is their biggest market per capita, which I he said that a few times. And I'm not surprised just based on sales and, you know, our population, etc. But yeah, the the overall show, the crowd was very much involved um, from start to finish and through all of the bits where, you know, you'd expect the audience to really be involved. And I would say on the night too, just overall, it was definitely a pro Def Leppard crowd. Like the majority of, of the, the, the group that was there uh, was certainly, it was a Def Leppard uh, fan base that was kind of the majority of, of who was there and, what they, and who they were there to see. Yeah, so it, it was a really, it was cool to see again, you know, I hadn't been at a show like this in four years in a stadium this big with this many people, it was cool to see that again, to see the lighter, well, not the lighters, the cell phones lighting up the entire building, the people singing along to every word and you could hear it. It was great to be a part of that again. You mentioned that the tour is in two legs and they have made some changes to the set list from certainly the first first leg to the second leg. I actually think they made the changes before the first leg. Yeah, just before, yeah. Yeah, just before. So in the first handful of shows, you got Fire It Up, Excitable, an acoustic version of Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad, 
and you've got like a, a shortened solo Joe version of Two Steps Behind. That was replaced with Let It Go, Promises, and a full Two Steps Behind, done acoustically, but like the full band, I think. Um, and then they've cut out Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad. Obviously, you're feeling overwhelmingly positive about this. <laughs> the set list that you saw with those differences, would that have been your preferred option or would you have preferred to have seen those earlier shows with that separate, with that different set list? Yeah, you know what? I can answer that immediately, 100%. Um, I'm glad that the changes were made and I saw the show that I saw. Um, it was a stroke of genius for them to put Let It Go as song number two after Take What You Want. You know, for many reasons, the first being that, again, there's that certain group of fans that are always just completely devastated, or so they make you feel, that they haven't played anything from High and Dry beyond Heartbreak, of course, you know, of course, but, you know, they don't play any of the rockers from High and Dry. So Let It Go satisfied all the people that wanted to have something from high and dry in there but it also coming out of take what you want like i can't i can't explain to you the feeling of i just heard take what you want which is a new favorite of mine that they just killed joe sounded so good and then when the guitar riff of let it go kicked in i was like oh my god perfect place to put it in the set right after take what you want which is a throwback um, to kind of that time anyways so 100% let it go. I am so happy that it was in there. Sure, I would have liked to have heard Fire It Up. Um, the more I hear Fire It Up, the less I am enjoying it. I still think it's a decent song, but as time has gone on since I've been listening to the album more, I'm like, meh. So I'm, I was okay with that. Quite honestly, I was happy to have Excitable gone. It's always been my least favorite track on Hysteria. And again, I love every song in that album, but it's my least favorite. And I'm not sure it's it's turned up in the past few years with them in the live set. And I haven't seen it performed live. So maybe it's a better live experience than the studio version. And that's what I understand from the videos that I see is that it supposedly it just kills live. But at any rate, um, I think Promises was a really good choice. It's one of my favorite, I guess if you could call it newer Def Leppard songs, but I think Promises is a great track and they, it sounded great. It is the one song um, in the set that I remembered from that night that Joe did struggle a bit on with hitting some of the notes. You could tell because they purposely didn't end it. Um, they didn't do the fade out with Joe in those high, high notes yeah. from the studio version, right? They did the, he stopped singing and the instrumental fade out. It was still very good, but there were definitely points in that song where I was like, Oof, yeah, that's pushing the limits of his range. But it's a favorite song of mine, so I was happy to hear it. And then uh, the third change with the acoustic set. Um, I love Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad. I would have liked to have heard that version acoustically um, live because I, I think it's a great song. But based on uh, what, what it based on kind of i think what why it was taken out was there might have been a little bit too much of a lull and a letdown when the acoustic set started so one thing i did notice about the flow of the set you know we and we'll get into some of the the other songs that were earlier you know the first six or seven once we did hit the acoustic portion 
it did feel like the wind came out of the sails a bit. Um, like I could visibly and I could feel it even around me. Like people, and it, it does happen. The acoustic set. It's it's your chance to be like, Oof, I need to sit down and take a break, right? Um, but a little bit of moment, momentum, I think, was lost. Um, this guitar uh, was beautifully done, but my feeling was the vast majority of the crowd it went right out like lost interest um two steps behind is always so well received here in canada it was a massive hit here it was a massive hit here and people sing along with it so that saved the day a bit um, in terms of the acoustic set so i'm glad it was trimmed down to just two songs because at that point i was like okay they need to pick this back up again we need to get back mm -hmm. up on our feet and back into we're here to rock right so it was it was interesting but um i'm really pleased with the changes that were made for the show i saw and i'm glad that uh that i got to see those ones instead what were the highlights for you oh all of it <laughs> um oh so many highlights so many highlights um you know obviously highlight number one as we've talked about is the opening the anticipation being back in that setting, I this was my I'm gonna say my sixth or seventh show since um, lockdown ended in March, and I've seen many um, different bands in smaller venues. But being back in a stadium filled with forty two thousand fellow fans and feeling the excitement and talking to people again, right about like pre show, mm -hmm. like oh I'm so excited to see this or I want to hear oh I hope they play this, and just getting that kind of vibe built back up and then obviously experiencing the whole build up and hype around the opening i just love that energy that's in involved in that time of when you're waiting for the show to kick in and when it finally does so huge highlight there um the first literally the first seven songs were a massive highlight because you know we went right from let it go to animal to foolin to armageddon it they played kick they played Love Bites and then they played Promises. Like I was over the moon with um, just, this is, this couldn't have gone any better. Like all of my favorite songs literally um, in a row and Kick was beautifully received and sounded so good. Um, Joe sounded great on it. It's perfect for his range. And you know, Love Bites always comes on and it's a ballad where you think there might be a little bit of a slowdown too. But again, such a huge hit here in Canada. And that was the opportunity where the, we really saw the first beginnings of the light show with yeah. the lasers with love bites. And then obviously all the, the, the flashlights come out and people are singing along. Um, so that was a, that whole run of the set list was a massive highlight. A couple other things in the set list that really stood out for me. I mentioned the acoustic, we talked about the acoustic set being, you know, that's your kind of lull. I noticed people were checking phones at that time. Um, you know, I kind of took a minute to just collect myself. I never sat down, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to take a breather here. Cause I got to chill. Um, and I was wondering, I couldn't remember what they came out of the acoustic set and what song they went into, but man, was I glad when I heard the beginning of rocket right after the end of two steps behind, right? So they come off, Joe come, they walk back off and this is, it's perfect timing, right? Because they need to go put the acoustic guitars back down. Everyone needs to walk back to their places. So you get that, the intro of Rocket start. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I'm like, yes! So Rocket is always the highlight for me. I think it's one of, it's a, a favorite song of mine, but in terms of 
the live version of that song, I think it's always one of their best. It wasn't the full version, which a little bit of disappointment, but in again, a 90 minute set list, they're not going to play the, the full thing, right? And they're not going to play the full extended one. Um, but that got everyone beautifully chosen for that moment because it took us all out of, hey, the acoustic set's over. Everybody was back up. And that's the perfect song, right? Because you got the rocket and everybody's yeah. singing it back. Yeah. So that was a huge, huge highlight for me. Um, you know, the intro or the beginning, or not the, the beginning, the middle part, obviously truncated, but I love that middle part. And they've got Phil and Viv doing their guitar thing a little bit. Um, so that was a big, big highlight. Really cool. So this was really cool. Bring it on the heartbreak and switch 625. So in the past, they've sometimes done or not done switch 625 after heartbreak. I'm really happy that they included it um, on this tour because this is another one that they changed up slightly in terms of how it played. So it's a coming out of heartbreak and you're going into, you know, you get the do 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 and the switch switch 625 kicks in and it's that just like the energy level is off the charts phil and viv are just at the top of their game on this one but what they turned it into was near the end part almost a rather than doing guitar solos and drum solos that some of the other bands do in a set list they used the opportunity of switch 625 to feature phil and viv but also rick allen so Rick okay. Allen's, if you want to call it drum solo, yeah. was actually the end of Switch 625. Yeah. And I tell you, man, the crowd ate it up. The The guitars, they finish up and Rick goes into this furied, frenzied, like probably one of the best I've seen him do in recent years. And, but it was, but it was Switch 625. Like it was, it yeah. was so cool. It was just such a, a different way of presenting the song that allowed Rick to be featured, which I think he always does need to be featured, but I don't want to see a drum solo. He just needs to be recognized. And man, whew, the crowd just ate that up like you wouldn't believe. And the roar that went up and, uh, you know, there's no introduction needed and there's no comment needed. Rick Allen, everybody, like, <laughs> boom. <laughs> Did he do that thing where... He gradually speeds up, speeds up, speeds up until it's like insanely fast and then he brings it back down again. Did he yeah. do that type of thing? Exactly, exactly. And it's just watching the frenzy of that. It's like, yeah. man, but the fact that it was incorporated as part of Switch 625 was like a genius move in terms of, you know, again, we'll talk a little bit later about a couple of the other bands that did some different stuff that I was like, don't do this in a short set list. Don't. And I'm really happy that Def Leppard focused on presenting it in that fashion. And uh, it was it was a real, it was a crowd pleaser. And then at this point, we're getting towards the end of the show. Not yeah. right at the end, you know, there's still, you know, a handful of songs to go. Did they end on a high? Oh, 100%. I think it's, it's funny too, right? Because again, we talk about, you know, bands and set lists, how they don't change over the years and how you need to play the certain songs and that people somewhat get tired and people get critical of like, oh, here we go. I can tell you exactly what they're going to play right at the end. But to finish the set with 
three songs that are absolute barn burner crowd pleasers mm. and you've got sugar you've got rock of ages and you've got photograph um by this time the place is in a frenzy and everyone's singing along we just came out of hysteria with that as i mentioned that like joe led kind of sing along um different ending version and then you know the sugar the drums kick in with sugar i can't tell again neil this is another moment in the set list where i literally like felt like i was pushed forward by the roar mm. that came up because you could tell that you know obviously there's the hardcore fan like me there but there's also the casual Def Leppard fan who is really there to hear sugar they're here to see hear a photograph they want to hear love bites and those people it was like all of a sudden all of those people were like yeah they're playing my song and the place just blew up right like pour some sugar kicks pour some sugar on me kicks in and I think at one point like the the crowd had drowned out Joe in terms of the the volume level that just went through the roof. And it, again, keep in mind, the dome is closed, right? So the loud roar of the crowd, I think, was much, much stronger and louder than it would have been had the roof been open. So yeah. it was deafening, deafening when Sugar kicked in. Um, and, you know, then, of course, Joe goes into his, oh, Rick Allen's got something to say. And, you know, Gunther Glieben Glauken Globen kicks in place goes bonkers again and i really think um that photograph probably is the best song for them to end a show on it really is i mean they come out of rock ages Phil and favor kind of Phil and favor kind of doing their little instrumental bit at the end and you i was i, I recorded this on video too and i think i posted it it's a full hd version but i was like i got to get photographed because Phil and Viv come walking up, right? And they're kind of playing off the ending of their guitar bits. And I think you can hear me on the video. I'm like, here it comes. And <laughs> boom, they kick in with the guitars and the lasers and the lights go off and the place goes nuts with photograph. And uh, it's such a high energy song. And I, I can't think of a better ending song for them, really, in terms of going out on the highest possible note and highest possible level that has left the crowd completely satisfied like i don't think there would be anyone in that building after photograph ended who wasn't like that was absolutely stunning like there wouldn't have been a, a complaint in the house i don't think to end on that note right yeah i, I agree entirely that's one thing that I wouldn't change and I'm probably as bad as anyone else for sort of wanting them to mix it up and things though recognizing that there's certain things that they've got to play but one thing I wouldn't ever touch is photograph in that last spot but you actually got quite a unique experience I was thinking about it because one of the the pros I suppose of them having this tight 90 minutes and being on a co-headline is there's no going off and coming back on for an encore and then there being that gap Def Leppard will often finish the main part of the set with Pause with Sugar on Me or maybe Let's Get Rocked or something like that. Then they stop. Everyone has a breather. Then they come back on yes. and play Rock of Ages and Photograph. It's probably quite unusual for you to, for them to play Pause with Sugar on Me, then Rock of Ages, then Photograph without a break. And then you've exactly. just got that building and building and building and building. That's it to me. Feels like that would be quite the experience. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. That's, I think you nailed it exactly, right? So 
as you said, we would have had that gap and it was probably going to be Rock of Ages photograph as an encore. Um, but this lent very well to being able to continue that momentum because I would have hated for like sugar. Everybody was just, you know, the place, as I said, just went nuts and everybody was on their feet and the, everybody's singing and the energy level was so high to then have that come down and that gap, I think would have really caused a massive drop off in the energy level within the, within the building and the fans. I mean, it's natural, right? You're going to be like, Oh, phew, that was just killer. I'm going to, I need to collect myself for a minute. And then you got to rile yourself back up. But, um, absolutely being able to play those three, you know, back to back to back, just kept the whole thing going. And by that time photograph kicked in and everybody's whipped into this frenzy, you know, I think it actually, the momentum actually got even stronger as we went through photograph and when it ended, it actually ended. And I was like, because there was no encore on the, on the flip side, there was no encore. So it was kind of an abrupt ending. You were like, Oh yeah, damn it. It's done. (laughs) They're not coming back out. Obviously in the stadium, so there's, there were other bands playing and I want to move over to them and we can talk about that for, for 10 or 15 minutes or so. But before we do move on to talking about more briefly Motley Crue and Poison, is there anything else that we haven't touched upon that you want to tell us about in regards to the Death Leopard show? Just that overall, I was really, again, we've talked about the hype and the buildup for this tour and you know, the anticipation and the delays and, you know, finally being able to see it. Um, I was so happy that the crowd, I was, it's not that I wasn't sure what to expect from the crowd. I knew there would be a high level of energy and that everybody would be excited, but it was so much fun. Like I haven't been to a, a big show in a while, obviously for obvious reasons. And had missed that experience more than I thought. And it was just so impressive and fun to be back in that setting where people were just there to have a good time. Like this was, I really have to say, this was a concert that was set up to be, we were going to have a party. We were inviting all of our friends and it was going to be like, you remember what it was like back in the eighties. We're going to recreate that for a night and everybody's going to have a great time. We are all going to sing along and everyone's going to get along well. And that's truly how it went. And I just, I, I just have to kind of remark that it was so nice to be able to see that again and to be able to be like standing, you know, the, I can't tell you, Neil, I had the most difficult time getting anywhere near merch tables. It was, I can't even guess how much money that these guys made on merch because everyone was buying everything they could get their damn hands on. Even at $55 a t-shirt, like I finally was able to get near the end of the night to a merch table that didn't have a lineup that was 30 minutes long, but standing talking to people in line about like being, oh, I want to buy this shirt. Did you see that one? And like, um, so they had great merch. It was all set up beautifully. Um, you know, everything was as you would have expected for a show of this size, um, done and everything was taken into consideration with how the whole night would go and everything from the merch to the various, you know, video screens and everything going on. Like it was just, um, it was so well put together. And I guess, you know, they had a lot of time with the delays to make yeah. sure everything went off to a hitch. 
But man, the professionalism and the level of, you know, just how it was all put together and how it came together seamlessly. There were no hiccups for my show and uh, it just went off without a hitch. Like kudos to everyone involved and the bands involved for pulling off, you know, something of this size and nature and really sending everyone home having had the best night of their lives in <laughs> quite some time, right? Two quick fire questions for you then. Did you get any merch? Oh, of course I did. I did. I, I was um, good though. I, I set myself like, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go nuts because I knew the prices would be, you know, a little bit expensive. So I got a, I got, they had really amazing, the Def Leppard merch was excellent. Um, some really nice new shirts. One of the new shirts um, I wanted to get was actually, a, was fired up. They had a cool skull, fire skull that was sold out. Um, but I bought a, it's funny though, how you, it's funny how you go back to what you know and what you love. So I bought a Hysteria album cover recreation stadium tour dates on the back. And I got my daughter a, a rock, Def Leppard Rock Brigade uh, blue shirt. Um, I did really want to get, they didn't do any tour programs for this, which I wasn't expecting them to, but I would have loved to have had a tour program. But being the tour that it was, um, they didn't do tour programs. So I bought a couple shirts and, uh, you know, that set me back enough. <laughs> and then in terms of Def Leppard and just Def Leppard's show, that 90 minutes, if you were going to give this a score out of 10, what would you give it? Oh boy. I, ha I have to give it a 10. I really do. Um, there isn't any reason for me not to give it a 10. It was... I have very high expectations for Def Leppard and I have very high expectations of the shows that I go to. Um, I, I expect to see a certain level of excellence from them and their performances for the most part over the years have not let me down. And with the build up to this one, plus having the new album out and high expectations for those songs, as well as the fact that this was, again, my first time seeing them in four years. I had an extremely high level of expectation and they completely fulfilled it um, and then some. I cannot, for anyone who hasn't gone yet, and hopefully for you folks across the pond for next year, I quite honestly have to say that they are at the top of their game. Um, hands down, without a doubt, they are firing on all cylinders. The musicianship is brilliant. Phil and Viv have that's some of the best guitar work I've ever seen them in terms of a live setting. You know, Rick and Rick Allen and, and Rick Savage are always just so solid, um, you know, as that rhythm section. And the real standout for me was Joe. Like I said, there were a couple times where, you know, he might not have hit those notes on a couple songs, but um, I haven't seen him or heard him sing that well in a long time. And I think the time off, the vocal coaches, the work he's done with his voice, keeping himself in shape has paid off. And from what I'm hearing from others who have already been, I think they would agree with me that um, he sounds absolutely fantastic. And you guys are in for a treat when they get over there, for sure. Like it's, it's, it's quite something to behold, especially when we talk about some of the uh, others <laughs> and the contrast. <laughs> Well, we segue nicely while talking about excellent vocals. And I don't want to make this a loaded question, 
Um, and I'm hoping your experience was positive. But obviously, coming up to this, there was a lot of speculation about how Vince Neil, in particular, would um, fare with Motley Crue, given some shaky performances um, over the last few years and and what shape he was in. I've got my fingers crossed. And for anyone who went to this, I'm not a fan of Motley Crue myself, but you said you're a big fan of uh, Motley Crue, particularly back in the 80s, and I'm poison as well. So I'm going to ask you these questions, and I'm hoping it's a positive outcome and that it was a really good package and everything, but give it to me. We'll start with Motley Crue first. We'll look at poison. But in Motley Crue first, what were they like? What was Vince like? Was it okay? Did we avoid Did we avoid a car crash? And in the end, was it actually pretty good? So I am, like you said, and I, I said earlier, I am a massive Motley Crue fan. I, so I've seen all of these bands before live, including Joan Jett um, over the years and multiple times actually. But I am a massive Motley Crue fan. I have been since the mid eighties. I saw them twice on their final tour <laughs> in 2014, 2015, um, which was excellent. Motley Crue for me has always been um, a band that I, they're that band that really, and their fans are passionate and they're loyal and there's that certain level of aggression. And it's a, it's a different type of music from Def Leppard. Um, mm. And it's a different, a little bit of a different fan base, but I always just loved the, I love Nikki Six and his writing and the songs that he writes. And so I was really excited to see Motley Crue again with tempered expectations. And by that, I mean, obviously, we all know of issues that uh, Vince has had, like you said, over the years. But to be quite honest, Vince has never been great, like even back in the early days. Um, Motley Crue's always been about the spectacle and the show for me. So I go to their shows knowing that I'm going to see a certain level of show, right? It's like Kiss almost. You're expecting to see all the craziness of the girls and the drum kit and the spinning this and the pyro, right? And it's not so much about, I don't really care if Vince misses a song lyric here or there or whatever. I don't care. And I'm a, I'm a guy too who really, you know what? I don't care if you use some backing tracks to help prop up. I don't care. Just be honest about it. I'm there for the show. So I went to Motley or the Motley Crue portion of this tour I was excited to see, but again, I had a level of expectation that was a bit reduced in terms of, I, I knew there were going to be some problems. Overall, yes, it was a positive experience as the whole show, um, but I was disappointed with Motley Crue. And funny, I wasn't really that disappointed in Vince per se, because I, I knew what to expect from him. Their sound was awful. Um, I have heard this now from others I've talked to um, who have been at other shows. And I don't get it because every show from my understanding has been the same. The mix was awful. It was so bottom heavy with bass and drums that at times the vocals and guitars were indecipherable. Um, the mix was so muddy that there were even times throughout their set list where I was like, you know, 30 seconds into a song, I'm like, what song is this? <laughs> And I knew we were in for trouble. So the, the crew always does a great stage show. And, you know, for this stadium tour, they've certainly um, continued that tradition. They started out with a great preamble with a news report about, you know, 
the the world going to shit basically and the crew's back and they kicked into wild side but as soon as wild side started and nikki's bass kicked in i felt this like i could feel it through my chest the thump and it was so bottom end heavy that it really took away and distracted from the rest of the show because like i said there were times that you couldn't tell what song was being played (laughs) and you know vince was vince he he missed some lyrics but he used the nasty habits who are the three dancing girls they had on stage as backup singers and dancers um they filled in the 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 gaps with those girls um i'm sure there were some backing tracks but vince did a lot of the like you know shout at the devil he'd point his microphone out to the crowd shout and they'd sing that part which is fine again that's what i expected a motley Crue show so you know what for me it wasn't so much vince um in that the mix was so bad that it really took away from my enjoyment of a lot of the songs that you know their catalog is fantastic and I really wanted to hear really great versions of some of the my favorite songs and a lot of them were just like so muddy and and indecipherable that I was like oh guys come on is it home sweet home the ballad where Tommy Lee plays the piano because I've seen that on YouTube and I've seen clips of that and that sounds okay. And I wonder if it's yes. because it's, it's it's stripped down at the at the beginning. What was a highlight or what was, what was the best part of Motley Crue for you then to, to be all positive about Motley Crue? So, you know what? Um, again, I love this band. And to your point, um, you know, Home Sweet, Home Sweet Home was always a highlight because that was, you know, for many people um, of that era of like 1985 when that came out, that was like the first kind of real big power ballad. That was the one that kicked off the era of the power ballad and it's um you know it's a signature song of theirs and the way they perform it um, with tommy coming up to the piano and starting out um it's a crowd pleaser it always is and to your point it, it does sound better and vince sounds better on the songs that are where vince does well are the songs that are more mid-tempo or the, the stuff like the ballad so like on stuff like don't go away mad which is a a mid-tempo from dr feelgood um where Vince is able to kind of not be out of breath, really, right? Where he can actually like be a little bit more slow and plodding with the lyrics. Um, he does okay on those ones. It's the stuff like, you know, Live Wire and the really fast paced um, looks that kill where he starts to get gassed and he loses it. Um, mm. So Home Sweet Home was a big highlight. Again, the flashlights come out on the phones and the places lit up beautifully. Um, the stadium was singing along to every word. Huge hit here in Canada. Some things that worked for me in their set. Primal Scream is a big one for me. The end of their set was probably where I was more um, kind of finally like, okay, I'm having a good time. I'm going to forget about some of the <laughs> my concerns from earlier in the set list. There was a point middle in the set list where they do this medley of, um, I'm surprised they still do it. Gary Glitter, you know, Rock and Roll Part 2. So they do that, but they they go from that into like smoking in the boys' room, white punks on dope, helter skelter, um, anarchy in the UK. They do this kind of medley that was just a jumbled mess. Like it was, I was like, this is not working well at all. But then home home sweet home came on, and uh, kind of fixed that part. So the front part of the concert was for me a bit disappointing in terms of the sound I mentioned and getting used to that. <laughs> 
And then also Vince struggling through a lot of the older material, like Shout at the Devil, Looks the Kill, um, Live Wire, in the early part of the set. We had that muddled mess with the medley, and they played The Dirt, which is their newest song from the movie The Dirt. That was one of the songs that I didn't know what it was until about 35 seconds in. So that was not a good moment. But what saved the day was the back end, the last five songs, they came out of Home Sweet Home right into Dr. Feelgood, which is a favorite of mine and one that just rocks the house. And then, you know, ended up finishing off with stuff like Same Old Situation, Girls, 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 Primal Scream. And Kickstart My Heart is always a tremendous song live for them. It's generally the last Motley Crue song in the set because the place just goes bonkers. And historically, in their set and in their shows, Kickstart My Heart is like the most unbelievably pyro-filled extravaganza on the face of the planet where things are blowing up all around you and you're thinking you're going to go up in flames. Not much pyro um, on this tour, just based on the nature of the tour, right? So there wasn't really a lot of that, but still the energy level. So that was a big highlight for me was was kickstart my heart at the end to kind of send everybody away with, yeah, we just got our asses kicked by Motley Crue. Mm -hmm. I think, unluckily for Motley Crue, they had to follow Def Leppard tonight, right? Mm -hmm. Which was going to be a huge undertaking to come off or to come on after Def Leppard just literally killed it. Mm -hmm. They would have had to have been absolutely perfect. So... Um, I did notice there were a number of people around us that left during Motley Crue at various points, um, but the, the place was still pretty much full for most of their set. And the crew fans, like I said, are hardcore. Um, I had a guy in front of me who was like, like oh man, that was the best. I've seen the crew every tour since 1983. He's like, that's the best I've ever seen them. Um, I was like, awesome. You know what? That's fantastic. I was, I was happy for the guy. I was like, who, who am I to say? It was one of the worst ones that I've seen, but that's, I'm not going to bring somebody else's experience down. I was like, dude, yes, that's amazing. Like, great. Latching on to the positive experiences bit in your last couple of sentences then. Poison, from what I've seen, I've had quite a lot of positive reviews on this tour. Was that your experience as well? 100%, 100%. So um, same thing with Motley Crue. Um, I've always been a huge Poison fan um, since the early days. Uh, Talk Dirty to Me was the first song I heard of theirs and I was hooked. Poison, from what I've read and talked to other people who have been to shows so far, a lot of reviews and fans have said that Poison has stolen this tour in terms of their performance. So I was like, wow, that's a pretty... It's a pretty massive statement, um, you know, when you've got bands like, you know, Motley Crue and Def Leppard who are headlining and for you to say that Poison stole the show, that's quite a compliment. Um, I've seen Poison multiple times, like I said, and for me, they are kind of the ultimate party band. They mm -hmm. are there to, and couldn't have been a better choice to open before Crue or Leopard, right? Because... Brett Michaels is the consummate frontman and showman, and he was able to whip the crowd up into such a level of excitement and frenzy that, I mean, Def Leppard and Motley Crue should obviously be thanking them for doing such an amazing job of building the crowds up for them um, because they put on a hell of a show. They were spectacular, I really have to say. Um, you know, they didn't have as much 
visually going on. Um, obviously, as you know, the third band on the bill, they don't get the full benefit of the full stage show and all the screens and the the rest of it. But they didn't need to. They had Brett's energy. The band was high energy. Um, they sounded fantastic, and they were able to um, you know play their songs. That again, even if you're not a Poison fan, you know these songs. You know these songs. Like every rose has its thorn. I'm sorry, you know it. You're gonna sing along. You're gonna get your lighter out, and you're gonna you're gonna love it. You're gonna love Talk Dirty to Me. You're gonna love Nothing But a Good Time. They're songs that were of the era and of fans of our age were part of what we grew up with. And um, again, to be kind of thrown back into that time frame with, you know, Brett came out right off the bat and was like, we are here, we're going to party. I'm here with 42,000 of my best friends and this is what we're going to do and we are going to rock. And they delivered in every aspect. Um, I was really pleased and I think the, the crowd in general ate it up every minute of it. The only, I'm going to say my very small complaint would be that having a truncated set list, you know, they're third on the bill, like I said, so they're playing less than an hour. It was about 15 minutes. Please, please do not include a guitar solo and a drum solo yeah. when you only have 45 to 50 minutes. I'm not interested in it. They could have played, and like Brett, if he ends up, if they end up on the tour over in the UK and Poison is opening um, and you see them, Brett likes to banter a lot with the audience. There's a lot of in-between song banter with Brett. He did a bit about Ricky Rocket's cancer. He did a bit about thanking veterans. He talked a bit about like, you know, the band breaking in Canada and all these various things, which probably took up in the course of the whole set, three or four minutes. So I was like, dudes, you could have fit in probably three more songs. They played seven songs, Neil. Seven. That's it. I was like, guys, you didn't play Unskinny Bop. You didn't play I Want Action. You could have eliminated the solos and cut the banter down a bit, and we could have had a couple more rockers in there because people were really into it. Like, when they finished with Nothing But A Good Time, they blew the roof off the, off the building. Looking ahead, the, the word on the streets is this is going to go around the world go to europe go to uk go to other parts of the world mm -hmm. um, japan australia maybe in 2023 i think i've even heard talk i saw something on twitter today nikki six saying she will definitely be back in 2024 yes and i don't know if you meant it's something separate or like they're literally doing what would be a third and possibly a fourth leg of this so this looks like it's gonna go on for a while so with that likelihood in mind does this stadium tour work as a concept for you? And going ahead, is this the right lineup and the lineup that would continue? Obviously, we're on Def Leppard, the officially unofficial Def Leppard podcast. So the view is, and I am railroading you into saying that obviously Def Leppard stay here, right? But in terms of other bands, should it go forward? with these bands or is there anything that maybe you could swap in or swap out maybe lower down or wherever i don't know yeah those are all good questions so i i think we're 99.9 .9 sure like you said that this is going to head to europe for 2023 um, including the uk and 
you know, I think Nikki, like you said, has confirmed that. Nikki, I've I've also noticed though, with, this is intriguing, just tying around Motley Crue and their future. Nikki has said on multiple times now after shows here in North America on tweets at the end of the night, we'll be back. So I've to kind of to your point is like, does he mean Motley Crue is going to be back separately in North America? Because that's interesting. Or are they going to be back on the stadium tour again? So at any rate, yeah, I think this is going to be, I think they've, they've hit on something here coming out of COVID aside where the demand was just pent up for so long for a big show. I think they've hit on something here that um, they've realized like we've got lightning in a bottle um, in terms of they know they can fill these buildings, um, especially in North America. Now I don't, I know we've talked a bit about whether or not that will translate with these bands, particularly in the UK in terms of the size of the venue, but I could see them coming back and doing another round in North America for sure. They're definitely going to go, I think worldwide with a Def Leppard Motley crew, and then maybe they change out something, the bands below them. But I definitely think there's going to be a 2023, 2024 version of this stadium tour of some degree globally. Yes. Hearing rumblings from Joe in interviews and things very recently too about the plans for Def Leppard specifically beyond this, where he's like, there's a lot in the works, people from the Def Leppard camp about where they go beyond, right? So the next three, four years, I think we've talked about it a bit too, in terms of like, will there be another album? Are they, they're obviously going to do their own tours. So I think there's a lot going on. So if anyone wanted to find you on Twitter or anywhere else, Instagram, where can they find you? Yep. So as always, um, I'm very active on Twitter, uh, my rock and roll heaven at rock these tweets. And uh, like Neil said, um, I'm a big, big um, proponent of new music and new bands. You know, I love all the legacy acts and we, you know, I do a ton of, uh, of postings about all of my favorites from the bygone eras, shall we say. But again, there is so much great new rock music out there. Um, follow me there and on Instagram, um, rock these tweets as well, Mike Rock and Roll Heaven, um, where I try to vary up my postings a little bit. And then uh, I'm kind of like the hired gun of podcasts these days. So you can find me on various other podcasts. Uh, Neil's, of course, the great Def Lep pod. Um, Ugly American Werewolf in London was on with Mac actually earlier today, Neil. So he says hello. Um, and, uh, the hook rocks with Jay Scott is another one I've been a guest on and I'm looking forward to doing a bunch more. I'm I'm still not at the point where I've got my own thing going on, but (laughs) happy to be the hired gun. (laughs) Well, there's a reason you're on so many podcasts, Chris, it's supposed to be so good. And everyone likes listening to um, all of your opinions. And that's good. Cause sometimes I'm like, I hope I don't come across too excitable. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. Chris, thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you, Neil.